Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneers Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fit for the Future, a Pioneers Post podcast created and co-hosted with our partners at Buzzagod Accountants. My name is Tim West, and this is my co-host, Eddie Finch. Hello. This is Fit for the Future, where the Buzzacott and Pioneers Post teams will meet some of the stars of social enterprise and mission-driven businesses and explore what it means to build a healthy, resilient, sustainable organisation that's able to do good and well at the same time. For this Fit for the Future podcast, we're turning our attention to impact measurement and management, looking at the experiences of a social enterprise called Breadwinners, who won the most recent SE100 Impact Management Award the annual social enterprise awards that Pioneers Post runs in partnership with NatWest. We've got the director and also a board member from the organisation to discuss both practical and strategic aspects of impact management, from how you go about gathering meaningful data to what you learn from this data and how a social enterprise can use it to make changes and improvements, tell an authentic story about its aims and achievements, win business and investment and set future strategy. So hello and a warm welcome to everyone for this Fit for the Future podcast with me, Tim West from Pioneers Post and my co-host, Eddie Finch from Buttercott Accountants. Eddie, hello, how are you? Hi Tim, I'm, I'm great, thanks. Yeah, really good to see everyone. Good. And a warm welcome to our two special guests for this podcast, Martin Kozarinski-Campos, who's director of the London-based social enterprise Breadwinners, and Harry George, one of the organisation's trustees and also a pretty successful entrepreneur in his own right, I think. Martin and Harry, can you give us just a little introduction to Breadwinners? What does it do? And then tell us about your own roles as well, why, why you've happened to become involved, what you do there. So maybe Martin first. Hi. Hi, hi Tim. Hi, Eddie. Thank you for having us. Um, so Breadwinners is a grassroots social enterprise and also a charity. And we support young refugees into work by selling bread uh, between London and Brighton on markets and also on a wholesale. Great. And what do you do there? Uh, yeah, so I'm the managing director. I've been uh, the director in Breadwinner for the last five years. And yeah, very exciting moment to be in Breadwinners, trying to, you know, take Breadwinners from very much a toddler to uh, almost a teenager now, almost there. And sort of difficult times, but exciting times as well, I guess. Yes, yes. We, you know, the, I think the, the very start was quite challenging and now we're getting into a place where we, we can see the impact that we have. We recently got some awards uh, for showcasing, you know, the impact that we have and how we do it. And now we are really in that stage of trying to scale the, our impact. I believe you won um, at one of our awards, the SE100 Impact Management Champion Award. So um, congratulations on that. Just, just before I move over to Harry, maybe some quick stats stats martin i i haven't prepared you for this so apologies but what what's your turnover what's your profit how how's the business doing at the moment you know if we go for for impact first i think uh, so we we've been working with over 250 young refugees mm-hmm. and um our ultimate outcome so in in our theory of change the the you know our main long term objective is to improve the well-being of young refugees and we particularly in Breadwinners, we do that through them accessing work or having a purpose and having a, a sort of path of their career. And more specific, what we do is to give them the first ever job in the UK or work experience. 
Um, and so we use uh, different measurements like the outcome stat that we might chat later on. And we measure well-being before and after the programs. And over 96% of young people that participate on our programs improve their well-being. We also have other in good stats on people that move into employment. Not everybody moves into employment. Some of them might move into university or other opportunities that they might want to explore. But people that do our breadwinners program, which is the program where refugees already have the right to work, uh, more than 90% of them progress into other jobs uh, and other opportunities. And those are statistics that for us are important. Uh, if you see, if, if you look at the problem of unemployment uh, within the refugee population in the UK, which is estimated on 70%, which is uh, crazy big, um, you know, our programs are demonstrating that they, they are uh, effective on supporting young people through employment, but mainly to improve their well-being. Many young refugees suffer uh, from mental health, both from, you know, uh, their past experience and also the journey that it takes to, to come into safety in the UK. And even in the UK, they still are uh, suffering from many, uh, you know, travels, basically, on accommodation, how to survive with a, with a very bare minimum support that the UK provides. Um, so for them to access a place where they have a job or they have a work uh, opportunity or work experience, having mentoring, having training and having a plan and seeing the future more than, than focusing on the past, but looking forward makes a massive difference. And um, yeah, that's what we really are uh, up for. And then in terms of numbers, uh, so in the last year account, we did 500K total income. And we are proud to say that we are a social enterprise. 56% of that income comes from selling bread. And what is unique or what this model of social enterprise allows us to do is that because we sell bread, we can put uh, job opportunities and we can give work experience. So we tackle the problem of employment, of unemployment, directly. And uh, that's the main, uh, our main objective is to continue growing sales so that we can support more young refugees into work and also be less reliant on grants. But we also uh, do need grants to provide the support that we, we do. Yeah, that's a great introduction and, and a really good summary, both of the impact side, as you say, impact first, but I'm glad that you told us about your, the financial side of things as well. Harry, what, your, your role then, you're a, you're a board member. What, what drew you to, to get involved? Yeah, so I um, uh, kind of worked in or led organisations that support various disenfranchised groups. Uh, you know, I've worked with uh, victims of domestic abuse and young offenders or the homeless. And uh, my own organisation that I founded works with young people with disabilities. And I think uh, I was going through a sort of phase of trying to look at good organisations and things that they were doing uh, that I could incorporate into my own org. And uh, Breadwinners was a pretty shining example of uh, work with refugees, which was something I didn't know much about. And it's, uh, you know, I'm very lucky to be a trustee with Breadwinners because I think it's uh, it's doing really good work with real impact. And as Martin touched on there, it's uh, a very flexible org uh, with those two funding streams. And I noticed you, they call you the business development trustee. 
um, on on the website. So I guess I mean you've got particular experience in kind of retail coffee that side of things, haven't you? So I guess you bring a an obvious passion for the mission, but also uh, I guess a sort of sharpness in your commercial approach as well. Yeah, I think uh, my own organisation is entirely self-funded, mm. and that causes a lot of challenges. And I think that uh, Breadwinners has the best approach, where it's you know roughly fifty-fifty. And I think it's uh, it's really important to have that flexibility of both sides. And I think that it's important that any business, you know, running with a mission has to be almost better than a for-profit business. It, it can afford less mistakes because the impact model needs so much extra funding to support it. And I think uh, you've touched on something there in the trustee relationships that are you know, very important is that, you know, we function on, we all have our niches and it's a really talented board of people because everyone has a different niche and the board meetings are they're very exciting actually because everyone's got really good insight into their various niches and various roles and i think that you know i know martin kind of calls us up for specific advice sometimes on specific things and that's a really healthy approach i think other boards often you function as a sort of invigilator which can kind of spoil uh spoil the fun somewhat but i think it's it's a very important aspect of being a trustee but uh breadwinners having that extra relationship where we all have our specific functions and niches is really really valuable to the org by an invigilator i guess you mean that i mean i suppose i've experienced this in boards as well so boards often can kind of seem as though they're there to check the homework of the organization and the and the top team you know but actually um it's a lot more than that actually there's a really important role um to support the organization isn't there yeah agreed and i think it's uh Often the mistake, you touched on homework there, with a lot of impact reporting, I often think of, you know, when I used to do schoolwork and I would, uh, I'd write the essay out and then I would try and find sources to back up the bold claims I'd made. And uh, it's important that kind of impact reporting and being a trustee of an organisation like this, it has to be the other way around. It has to be, we produce the work, then it should be measured and then the claims are kind of distilled out of that. And I think that that's uh, often what the trustee meetings of breadwinners turn into is, you know, we, we're not checking, oh, can we say that? Is that something we're allowed to get away with saying? It's not like that at all. It's the other way around. It's very focused on, wow, that's amazing. How do we communicate that out? And I think that that's a really healthy structure to the board meetings and the invigilating process. I think that's a really interesting insight. I mean, being a communications person myself, the temptation is always to create the story and then find something to back it up, as you say, but completely the wrong way around. Um, Eddie, I... Can we come over to you now for um, just some initial thoughts on what you've heard so far and maybe a general perspective on social enterprises and charities measuring and managing their impact? What does that mean and why do you think that's important? And, and how, what, what are your reflections so far on what uh, Martin and Harry have said? Yeah, I, I think um, managing and measuring impact something that we, we've believed is very important uh, for quite a long time. It's, it's been around in the charity sector and social since social enterprise first popped up in the late 90s and has really evolved a lot. But it's really great to hear what Harry and Martin have said so far because a lot of what they've described um, has already dealt with some of the problems that I think we, we, we might see in other organisations approach to this. And that, especially as an accountant, I've got a particular fear of people making up a story and then trying to make the facts fit. Um, but that that kind of um, approach of uh, finding evidence and then deciding what it means and, and 
what informs you to do better in the future is exactly what it should be all about, which is why they're award winning. But I, I think this sort of historic approach where you sort of look at your outputs, the, the things you do and, and count them, and then you think about the outcomes, what actually happens to people you work with, and, and then move on to thinking about your impact came, came through strongly in, in what uh, was just being said, but also some of the broader thinking I think that goes on now. I think impact um, as a a subject area has moved on a bit since maybe some of the early early models. Um, but the most important thing for me is that um, a bit like accounting, where originally accounting started as somebody counting up the chickens in the field for the, the landlord and all those kind of things. And it was all about simply counting what somebody owned. Um, it's really moved on now to being uh, a tool uh, for, for giving you information to make good decisions from. And, and I think that's the thing. You can look at what you've done, you can look at what it achieved, and then you can set your future priorities and make future decisions um, based on what works best or, or what you believe works best. And there's, there's always that stage of a theory of change where you, you think you know how it works, but you've got to get in and test whether what you do actually plausibly leads to uh, what you believe will happen. Um, and also um, whether... Um, that's actually uh, sort of demonstrable in some way, whether it's really you that's doing all those things like attribution, whatever. Um, but I think that that move from impact reporting to impact management is something that's been pretty key. I think there's a, a second strand going on at the moment as well, though, because in the in the wider world of, of bigger corporates, and, and I hear what Martin says about being an organisation that's growing now, and I think it's it's something that's there in the big capital markets at the moment and, and will bleed down into the rest of business eventually is as a, a big preoccupation with ESG as a broader topic. So whilst you've got your sort of intentional impact side, which is all about your theory of change and what you do to cause change you want to happen, you've also got, I think these days, organisations having to think more broadly about the, the wider impact they have uh, in, in terms of how they relate with the outside world. So I, I, I think... The, the spectrum that goes from sort of corporate style ESG right the way through to for-purpose organisations measuring their conscious impact is is uh, somewhere where there'll be a lot of discussions and, and sort of integration going on over the next few years. But one, one thing we've certainly seen in the public sphere is that a lot of um, impact stuff is or social value creation, whatever we label it as, is, is seen as additional by businesses. Um, and, and what's really demonstrated in the business model here is that it's absolutely inherent that the, the actual way of doing business and the people involved in the business, the purpose of the business is to bring excluded people into the economy and, and uh, bring them through. And that's got a much greater value than Greg's uh, giving a few quid to a charity here and there. So I think that the, the case for four purpose businesses and, and enterprises and charities um, to say our, our impact is actually... Yeah, it goes right to our core. It's not just uh, an add-on. Is is something that's becoming increasingly important. Do you think that that's important because it's a message that will start hitting home with potential customers, sort of just people who want to buy bread, or do you think also maybe for corporate supply chains that sort of thing it's going to be important too? I, I think there's there's several strands to that, and and it's really important actually. The whole idea of of impact reporting at least and who it's for is very important so a lot of social enterprise organizations work in public service delivery and there's some really tick box kind of approaches to uh, assessing social value in those arenas which is all about additionality and doesn't take account of um, the organization actually inherently being 
for a, a public benefit purpose. And some really good observations came out um, with the leaders group of social enterprises we were talking to recently. And, and they were making comparisons between themselves and they were providers into public service mostly, but a, a, a consumer facing social enterprise as a slightly different challenge because on the one hand you're you're providing a story there is the this what we do has a positive social um, impact but on the other hand you've got to provide a product that people once they've bought once will buy again and, and, and you need to sort of entice them in with the product and then the story helps make them loyal to your product later so I think at, at a consumer level there's that um, at an investor level uh, there's a mix of people with philanthropic motivations and people with kind of soft capitalist motivations who like a bit of um, sort of social on the side as well. I, I think it's really important to think about your audience when you're deciding what impacts matter most and whether they're going to actually increase the investment or sales you're likely to make. I think certainly for consumer-facing social enterprises, it's more often that first thing I mentioned. The, the, the sort of It's part of once people are ho hooked on the product, um, the story will keep them there. Um, and, and they'll become loyal to the brand. They'll, they'll, they'll get involved in the, the impact story, second, often. Okay, so we're getting a sort of picture here of, of impact measurement being a kind of a, a way to understand, you know, how you're doing as an organisation, a way that you might be able to improve what you're doing, a way to communicate with the outside world, with your customers about your products and services, and actually a way to, to communicate with potential investors as well, I guess. So it's all those all those different uses it, it has. We're also coming across some terms, some slightly jargony terms like additionality. So, um, and we may come across other terms like that. So there are terms like that, various things that, um, that um, impact measurement people pull out and use. Um, I think you explained the concept of, of additionality, additionality Quite quite well just just now, but is there a have you got a sort of uh, one sentence just to give us a, a summary of what additionality is? Well, I, I think in a nutshell, it's it's um, not making claims that you help cause things that would have happened anyway, so or that were really heavily contributed to by outside actors uh, rather than yourself. So should we should we start now then with the story of um, breadwinners first deciding? about measuring your impact how what, what made you do that how did you go about it what was your first impact report like because you've been doing it for several years now so where where did you start yeah first to to say that we are we're quite young social enterprise but we are really really keen on continuous improvement or i myself come from that background of trying to always see how to do things better and i think the the trustees really support me on this and the First thought, okay, we need to produce our first impact report. This is year two or three, right? So maybe we, we didn't get to do our first impact report because the first few years you are actually doing and testing and doing a lot of, of the work and trying your best to keep this thing going, this idea, and to support, in our case, young refugees into work. And um, because of my past experience on volunteering with other charities, I could see how much young people and young refugees uh, have skills and will to improve and to, to learn, basically. So we thought, let's use the impact report and give this opportunity to the young people to do part of this work that we have there to do. So because we had a program due to the lockdown where we had a, like a mini call center and we were 
doing wholesale and, and an e-commerce and we trained young refugees to sell bread online, basically. We had the capability, so there was a bit of opportunity as well. And we have the capability to call all our program participants and absolutely all the people, all our alumni of young refugees. So we give the task to program participants or young refugees on our program to call all our alumni and find out information. And we thought that was going to be a better way than myself or our core team doing that. Because we, in every single session, training session, we ask questions and we dig in as much as we can. But young people and people that you are supporting are really grateful of what you're doing. So they will tend to want to please you. And so we try really hard to think, okay, we can give this opportunity to program participants to learn and to do this work for us. We pay them to do it, basically, because they are in, in our programs where we pay them for the work that they do. And at the same time, we hopefully we're going to get a better answer, a more in-depth answer, a better feedback that is going to allow us to change or to continuously change. So that was our first two impact reports. And now we went, we are doing right now one that is going to come out soon, I hope, which we went further. So in this case, we gave the opportunity to one very prominent young person to lead on the impact report, to gather a team of 10 young people that went through our programs, and they came up with the questions that uh, they wanted to ask to the alumni. So this is a further step. Um, and, you know, we are in the making. So this is going to come out very soon, and hopefully we will be able to share. There's a bit of a jargon there. Uh, this thing is called participatory action research, and we try to not jargonize it. So for us, it's a way to use impact measurement to get the best information that we can for breadwinners internally to make changes and in the process, support young refugees that they're going to learn skills and also they're going to get paid for uh, the work that they, they are doing for, for us, basically, for breadwinners. That's a really interesting approach. I wonder whether, did, did you, when you started to do this, though, did you have any pushback at all from the board as to, well, hang on a minute, why are you, why are you spending time and money measuring things if you could just spend the time and money making more impact in, 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 in the mainstream sort of way. I mean, how, did, did you feel supported by the board to, to go through this exercise? Uh, yes, I, I, I do feel quite supported. And as, as Harry was saying, because we have different uh, board members uh, who have different skills. We have one board member in particular that has uh, lived experience of the, of the issues that we deal with. So, you know, I would pick on different people on the board to tell them, you know, okay, I'm trying, I'm thinking about this, what do you think? And it goes a little bit like, I, I feel or I think about my or my trustees of the board of trustees of breadwinners as coaches and sources of support and almost like a, a wall to bounce back different ideas of that I, that I have and, and yeah, and then go for it. And a lot ends to be a bit of trial and error. So uh, a lot of the work we do, you know, we, we're thinking, okay, we're going to make a change. We think this might work. And then we go on and try it. And if it works great, if it doesn't work, we need to find another way to to do it better. This in terms of impact, right, on 
adjusting your programs, thinking how can you, you know, okay, the program is doing well, 90% well-being, you know, the number itself is really good, but there's still, you know, something that you can do more and potentially either, you know, you can improve always. You, you We want to always question ourselves, how can we do it better and more efficient, even if, if if numbers itself might be good. We want to see how can we do it in, in a better way. And Harry, were you and the rest of the board fully on board with this then? Or were you was anyone skeptical at all? I'm just I'm just interested in this because I mean Eddie, you must have come across situations where, you know, there'll be there'll be some boards saying, Well look, yes, we need to measure our impact, but it's more important to focus on actually doing the impact. I, I, Eddie, you, I, you must have come across that sort of situation. It does. It does come up from time to time, and I, th- I think, um, and I'd be interested in in hearing how you you manage the balance. I think some of it comes to things being proportional and and manageable, because I think some organisations have got burnt by trying to put very complex. Um, often IT-based systems in place and, and ask people to collect data that they wouldn't normally collect, whereas this kind of approach where you're asking people good qualitative questions about their experience of the service, and, and I, I assume, Martin, you track similar data over periods of time so that you can you can see the trends, and, and below that well-being statistic, there's probably sub-bits of well-being that, that you can look at. And if, if it's stuff that I think is in the sort of normal course of business for the organization to talk about and discuss if you make it normal that's in it that that sort of weariness tends to go away if if you do it all wrong and you, and you design something that just feels like an extra job for everybody i think that's when boards and staff and participants um start to get frustrated um i, I think with with board members our biggest issue i think is reminding them that actually for, for any organization that claims to be social purpose, especially if it's a charity or, or some other organization where it's sort of legally got obligations on that front, is to remind the board that um, actually that's, uh, and it's not the nicest word to use to describe it, but it's effectively your product is is impact. And, and actually managing it is the most important thing the board should be thinking about. But it is it is tricky. But, but on the whole, I think if, if you bring that kind of data that's rich and and... Uh, that actually is actionable. Boards respond well. I think one challenge that's often put to organisations doing impact reporting is, well, have you gone and spoken to the people who have a stake in this, the the beneficiaries, the people at the at the sharp end? And you're you're doing exactly that, aren't you? Um, in a very sort of strong way. Yeah, I would say we didn't start it like this, but we continuously try to involve them the more and more possible and we are you know I, I guess not all social enterprises and charities would be able to do it depends you know mm. who you're working with and there's going to be different challenges but there's always a way where you can involve or there's a different degree and we been improving and how much we you know involve the program participants into how we measure what is this something that you that they care about uh, and how we gather the information as well and ultimately, you know, if I had to defend it to any board, I, I think my my particularly my board will not bring me any any you know particular blockers to trying to do this really. But if I had to defend it, I would say, well, I I am actually while I'm measuring or while I'm doing the impact report, I'm delivering for my mission as well because I am employing young refugees, or so we are 
as breadwinners, we are employing young refugees to get skills and, you know, to, to use this opportunity of measuring impact as well as part of, um, yeah, as part of the mission, basically, which is to support young refugees in the work. That's great. And how often do you report on this? So you've got your annual impact report. Let's take it to the sort of uh, board relationship now. And ha- Harry, a- as a board, how how often do you meet? And do you discuss impact? Do you And do you have KPIs even that you look at around impact at every board meeting? So I think there's uh, it's important to kind of distinguish between formal and informal meeting with the board and with Martin in particular because there's a constant communication flow and that's informal but that's you know texts messages calls uh, meeting at things like this and uh, you know emails even and then there's the obviously quarterly proper board meetings where we uh, it's always a priority to ask how the impact's going if there's any concerns in particular um, I think we try and encourage uh, well I in particular I personally and I know a few others do as well try to encourage uh, that those questions to be are there any challenges that we can help with with the impact side of things? And I think that often Martin, uh, you know, has uh, comes to those meetings with those challenges that he's faced and might have a suggestion already on how he wants to approach it. So there's a very healthy kind of stream of information about it all. And obviously then there's the uh, infreq- well, I mean, semi-frequent uh, graduation ceremonies, which all trustees are kind of encouraged to come to if they can. Uh, and I, I very much enjoy going to because then you get quite a unique experience where you get to directly interact with these beneficiaries and that's uh or rather the stakeholders and i think it's quite important that you know you have both informal and formal uh information streams on this stuff because it's very easy to get caught up in just meeting at the board meetings and just dis- disassociating yourself from you know the human aspect involved and that all comes across loud and clear and everything really that you, you you're and it's a benefit of still being, I guess, uh, I can't remember if you said you were a toddler or a teenager. I think you said you were a teenager now, but anyway. But but still being in, in your youth um, is is that you're still personally, Martin, close to everything that happens, I'm, I'm hearing here. But but one of the things you've touched on quite a few times is, is that you use your processes to identify things where maybe you're not making the changes you wanted to, or, and we've just heard from Harry about bringing problems with the impact to the board. I, I guess what I'm interested in is, is have, you, have you got some examples of, of where that process then has led to redesigning what you do and, and coming up, you know, is, is there, are there some real success stories of new ideas you've had because of putting yourself through that? Yes. So we, we did uh, significant changes after impact reports. And I think it's really important that, I mean, in the process of, even on a quarterly or on a monthly, but even even on an impact report that's done annually, that that all the work that you have done or all the work that the organization has done actually produce some change or something that you're gonna do differently. Because if not, I I sort of sort of think that it's almost like a missed opportunity. You did a lot of work and then are you going to continue doing the same thing? So then what was all that point? You didn't really learn or you didn't take anything from that. So we, you know, when one of the major changes that we did at the very beginning when on our first program, um, you know, we were supporting people until they find the next job. We always said we, we want these uh, opportunities to be uh, the first step into other jobs and to progress, right? And so at the beginning, we thought the best way to support someone that 
has the first ever job is that they have the first ever job until they find the next one. In a way, it was, in a way you could say it was great for if you measure it in terms of if you only look one KPI, which is quantity of people or percentage of people that got another job, we had like almost 90, always 100% people because it, it might take years, but everyone will get a job afterwards, right? But also we identified that that was also not supporting the people to progress. And in particularly, you know, once if you are someone that has your first ever job, you might, and you have aspirations, but it was really tough for you to get to that first job because you never had UK work experience and you had many years of being unemployed through all the things that, you know, uh, refugees go through then you might want to, once you secure something, you might want to stay safe, right? And so we tested this idea and we asked people, shall we actually have a, a let's say, a deadline or a, or a, an end date? And, and what? Why should that be? Should it be a year? Should it be six months? Should it be? So we tested these questions and then we came up with, a, with okay, we're going to try out six months. And then we revisit it again and say, is this still working? Yes, yeah, six months is good. Now we're going to change a second program duration, which is going to be actually more. Instead of shortening it and cutting it, we are actually going to extend it a bit more because people demonstrate that they, they want to, you know, they don't fully learn everything yet. While on the previous one, you know, on the one that we shortened, people were already, we, we gave them everything. They absorbed all the skills that they, they could by you know, even mid of their experience, right? And we do measure how long uh, people stay. That was one of the big ones. Another one that we find out was we asked them, we we asked, I think the question was something like, do you know or do you know what opportunities are out there for you? And actually there are loads of opportunities. It's not, there are opportunities out there. There are hard, you know, we, we got that information but more than 46% of, I think it was something like 46% of our alumni did not know which opportunities they could do after, after our program. And our whole, you know, theory of change is for them to use our programs to progress. And how are they going to do that if they, they don't know what is after us or what can they do after us? And so we are, we've been putting focus on we're going to have a job board and an opportunities board. These are the, the jobs that we know, uh, you know, partners, uh, organizations, for-profit, not-for-profit that know about us so that if we refer a young person, they will probably, you know, have a good chance to, to go through their interview process or go through the, the programs. Uh, also volunteering experience, also university, how to get into university. But that, you know, is still not perfect. So it's, we know right now that we still didn't get it right. We are in the way to get this to, to, to a better place, right? But, you know, we, we continue testing and seeing how can we best uh, get young people into further opportunities. And, yeah, these are two changes uh, we've done that are on the way, basically. It's not, we, I don't think we get it 100% perfect, but... On iterations, we will get, we are always sort of trying to see which is the best way to support uh, young refugees in our case. And those those are both really quite powerful ones. I think especially that idea that maybe, I mean, maybe somebody just really likes working on the market stall and 
doesn't want to move on, you know. So that that idea of making it time bound um, has made a big change. It sounds like it did. It did because people and actually the the fact that the most scary point for me was, you know, I was very against this at the beginning because I thought, you know, the best support that we can provide is for them to keep working until they find the the next job. But actually, I was, you know, the process of asking this question to our young people and for them to tell me, well, no, actually, if I have a deadline, I will actually find a job if I had a deadline. That make my decision uh, or my my mind, you know, be better prone to do it, to, to make that change. And I think in in that particular case, it, it does. Sometimes you will find out something uh, that actually either makes your decision making easier, and maybe the risk is lowered by knowing from directly from the young people or from the people that you are supporting that this could work. It doesn't mean it's gonna work. It, we, you know, it didn't say this is hundred percent bulletproof that it's gonna work, but it did. Uh, got better because we can support more young people and we can tell the young people progress into quicker into other opportunities and also you know there's a moment where we if they already know everything we could we could teach on that model which is the the market stall model then you know we are not really achieving our mission by only having people staying there forever right we want them to progress. We, I don't. I wouldn't be happy for someone that wants to be a doctor to stay as a market store manager forever. But I, I would be happy to know that there is a future doctor that the first ever step was selling bread on our market store in, in Victoria Park or in one of our local markets. Yeah, absolutely. So look, you're, you as an organisation are, you still got a way to go, as you said, on your journey, but you're, you're a lot further than a lot of people a lot further than a lot of other social enterprises. I just wanted to finish off by asking you if there's if there's one thing that you might say, um, each of you, to um, a, a social business or a, a business with a mission, um, big, or, big or small business, who is just looking at impact for the first time and wondering whether it's worth it, how to do it. You know, what, what would be your, your message of encouragement to them? Um, Maybe start off start off with, yeah, you, Harry? Yeah, I'll jump in on that. I think um, if there's one thing I could convey to anyone, one piece of advice, it would be to really get out there and get involved with other organisations so that you can learn best practices and inform how you want to do your impact reporting. Uh, for example, me being a trustee of Breadwinners has given me tons of ideas for my own organisation, uh, peer-led reporting in particular. And the sector as a whole is just so much stronger when it's cohesive rather than fractured. But everyone working in isolation is not the way forward with this because there's so much crossover and social enterprises and non-profits can really work together, even just as customers. Uh, but ideally with that kind of cohesive uh, thought piece on how we do impact reporting. Great. Eddie, your thoughts? Overall, I, I'm uh, kind of blown away, I think. Uh, everything you've said... Um, it, it brings things to life in a way that the the sort of very dull presentations I do on impact uh, from a, a theoretical point of view can't ever live up to. But I, I think the thing I'll take away most is that that really deep involvement of the stakeholders and the continual improvement and learning. I, th I think that's probably would, would be the two things I've always thought are, are the most important things about managing impact. Uh, Martin, last word to you. Yeah, I will encourage everyone to 
if if they're gonna embark on on doing an impact report, to really think that is a opportunity for for making changes basically, and to use that to make change, and also think creatively how can you involve the people or the you know whatever your mission is, uh, see how, how can you make them part of it and get them involved because it should also uh, further your mission. Great. It's a lovely last message to end on. So Martin, Harry, both from Breadwinners, Eddie, my co-host from Buzzercott, thank you very much indeed for joining the Fit for the Future podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks. This has been Fit for the Future with me, Eddie Finch. And me, Tim West. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and please feel free to share your thoughts via email at hello at pioneerspost.com or on Twitter at Pioneers Post and at Buzzercott. Goodbye. Goodbye.